0: We are in the book of Genesis, and what we've tried to say in the book of Genesis will be in Genesis chapter 3 if you have your Bible, if you have your phone, will be in Genesis 3. But what we've said in Genesis chapter 1 is the imagery that's happening here in the book of Genesis is not just about stars and moon and the sky. The imagery happening here in Genesis is about relationships. And what God is trying to put forth in this book is an understanding that he wants to be connected with you. He wants to know you. And so what you should see in Genesis 1 is, yes, a beautiful picture of creation. But one of the things that we said is that when a child is brought home into a room that's been made for them, the crowning moment isn't all the luxury pictures that you put up or the crib. It's when you lay that child down in their room in the same way. The crowning moment of creation is man and woman. God is trying to put relationship on display. When we get into chapter three, that is where you must see not just Adam and Eve falling into sin. You must see a threat to relationship. That's actually what's happening in Genesis chapter three. It's a threat to relationship. This is the introduction of evil and also the seduction of evil. It is the pattern of deception and it is the anatomy of temptation. This is how we fell and this is also a pattern of how we fall. Wow. We must see it as a means of relationship being lost. And by the end of this passage, Eve will say, I was deceived. She says it that way because she didn't think she was being deceived. I was deceived. Adam, too. Deceived. Scammed. Tricked. was in Jamaica for two weeks, stayed with my cousin. He works for the postal agency out there, Um, and I asked him, what does he do? And he says, I work on lotto scams. I said, well, what exactly is a lotto scam? He says, well, basically, there are a set of phone numbers for people who are older and live by themselves. And here in Jamaica, what we have found is there are people who work really hard to get those lists of numbers. And we call them, and we tell them that they've won $2 million. Well, that's a scam. They tell them they've won two million dollars, but all you have to do is send them five hundred dollars because of the postage and shipping and handling on all that money. And I'm and I say to myself, I said to, I said to my cousin, I said, "Who falls for that?" He says, "Falls for that? It's over a, 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 a what do you say, a, over a one point five billion dollar industry. He says they're being scammed all the time. I said, how could you? Do it? He says, because there's so many susceptible people, so many people out there. Now, these scammers, they get that first round of money, and then they say there's, a, there's been a problem. So then they get another round of money. Then they say there's been a problem, and they get another round. I said, how long can it go on? He said, I've seen it go on for years, and they never actually get the millions of dollars. And you would think they would pick up on this. But the people that are scamming them, they're so polite, so kind. They seemingly feel like a family member, they've said. And so the connection is so deep. And one of the things that I learned, what he was trying to say is, James, here's what you got to understand. They seem so kind to them, but all they want to do is separate them from their money. And what you have to see about the nature of deception in Genesis 3 is a very kind and benevolent looking being. But all he wants to do is separate you from God. That is the heartbeat behind temptation. That is the heartbeat behind sin. And that is the heartbeat behind the devil's strategy. Every element of his strategy isn't just to get you to sin. It's to get you separated. Sin is not the goal. Separation is. Sin, sin is like a, a, lover, a, 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 a lover wanting a one-night stand. They don't want just a one-night stand. They want you to leave your spouse. They want you to be separated from them. And Satan's strategy isn't just that one thing you're doing. It is the shame. It's the pain. It's the feeling that you can't talk to God. That's his goal. Separation. Why? Because this book is about a disruption of relationship. This chapter and so you have to understand that we must then fight temptation, not just by memorizing commands. It's not just by discipline. Satan's strategy is to separate us from relationship, and our greatest battle is to remain in relationship. Here, we see these patterns of lies Genesis chapter two, verse 16, verse 17, set the tone. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. If you look back in Genesis 1 and 2, it is an abundant moment of Adam naming animals, having dominion, seeing the creation of Eve. And there is this unique moment where God, in the midst of creating bounty and abundance and beauty and flourishing, God gives this broad permission and says all. And yet he says, but he gives one narrow restriction. Can you imagine living in a one rule society? There was only one thing you couldn't do. Can you t- I'm just saying, just think for a moment. If you lived in a world where it was like, yeah, you can do anything you want, just one thing. You know what sin will be doing? Be like, that one rule, boy. I tell you, boy, if you broke that, (laughs) abundant life. You know what I'm saying? Here's the challenge of this text that we have to see. When the Lord says you can eat of this and you'll die, the Lord talks about what's being restricted, but he doesn't really go into why. He just talks about the consequence, So there's actually a gap of knowledge. There's, I can't do this, and here's what'll happen if I do it, but give me some more depth. Give me some more reasoning. Kids do this all the time. You'll be like, don't go over there. They'll be like, but I need to know, I'm like, ignorance is a good thing in some levels, y'all. I can't explain everything. The gap of knowledge had to be filled by faith. What Eve did not know, she would have had to trust because she didn't have the depth of insight. And the space by which she had to trust was also the space by which she would be tempted. So the same space that we must live by faith, the enemy will attack because we will long for that which we cannot have. So God speaks of this consequence. You'll die. So then you have to understand right at the top of Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Many scholars get into debates on what is this serpent. in? Throughout the book of Revelation, Satan is pictured as a serpent. Some authors have said this is not a serpent. Uh, This is not Satan, but just some random serpent. Either way, we understand Satan to be behind all evil. So regardless if you see it as Satan himself or a serpent, we understand Satan to be behind all evil. But I believe it's Satan because one of the things you learn about Satan throughout the scriptures is Satan is a master of disguise. It can be presumed because Eve has a full out conversation with a serpent. She does not view serpents like you and I view serpents where we see them and immediately we're afraid. There's a good chance that every animal and every beast was something that she could feel like she could have connection with and relationship with. So there's a very good chance that this serpent was something that she saw as bringing benefit to her. The scriptures, I don't have it up there. The scriptures say in 2 Corinthians 11, don't be surprised that Satan comes as an angel of light. We must understand that the first moment that Eve is being tempted isn't just in the temptation, it's allowing a certain type of person in her space. And she allows them because they gave a strong presentation. They seemed beneficial. Beneficial. When scanning your mind of the ways that you may be tempted, first understand that Satan is always operating in the mental space of lies and lying, and he does a good job of making lies seem true. We must understand that he's not trying to just haunt you and scare you and come around with a big red suit with horns. He is not just trying to make you afraid. In fact, he's trying to get close. Right. One author said, Satan attacks in falsehoods, not fangs. He comes at you, and he does not seem like a threat. And so, this conversation begins to happen. And in verses 1 through 3, he says to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice here in verse 1, Satan... The serpent does something. If you look back in chapter two, he just says, you can eat of any tree, just this not one tree. But he says, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Notice his first plot is to exaggerate what God said, to make it seem more restrictive. Then, In verse two, it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may not, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. If you're researching this and looking, notice she does quote what God says, but she adds something to it. Because what she says is, yes, you cannot have this tree, but she says, neither shall you touch it. And she has now made what God said seem even more restrictive. It's as if the enemy knew that she felt like it was a restriction, so he began to exaggerate the restrictive dynamics of the command. Herein lies the means of temptation. The enemy is playing on doubts and playing on fears. And if you notice, God says one thing and Eve just slightly says another. It is important that we keep very deep inventory of what God said versus what registered inside of me. Because they're not always the same. You see, okay, I'm supposed to be talking myself, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself. No, you know if you don't stay in God's word, you're staying in someone's word. Go there is something you repeat in your mind as a means of command because we talked about this last week. We are people of reflection. We will take on someone's glory. And I'm telling you, there is a story in your mind that you are repeating that has registered inside of you. And the enemy knows the flaws, the fears, the frailties that you have. And he plays on those things. He knows your past. He knows where you've been. And so because of that, Eve says, well, you might not touch it. He's like, ah, I can get her with restriction. Make her think that God doesn't have the best for her. Make it sound like God is keeping her from goodness. And so we see Eve struggling and the enemy playing on her fears. And so in verse 4-5, it says, The serpent said to the woman, Girl, you ain't going to die. What? God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here, the serpent, what he did, it's so clever. You see, when we read the text, that's actually what happens, our eyes are opened. But it's not in a good way. Her eyes are open to her own flaws, as well as Adam's. Those flaws end up bringing them into shame. But the full-out lie was when he said you wouldn't die. That was a whole lie. You see, what he did was he made the consequences actually sound like a benefit. That thing he's saying that won't happen, it actually is a good thing. And so in the end, the serpent is manipulating based upon what God has actually said. One of the things that I fear for so many of us is you and I, we will be greatly tested. When you walk with God and you read his word and you love God, you will be deeply tested. And there will be a gap like Eve had where you wonder and you doubt and you will have to figure out what is it God actually said? Because I don't see the results. I've been following God this whole time and I'm not seeing the fruit. There will be a gap. And in that gap, the enemy will want you to dance. The enemy will draw you in. In in short, here's what the enemy is trying to say. Obedience is actually limiting, and disobedience is actually liberating. Oh, if you would just do that thing, if you would just go over there, if you would just take that little bit of side hustle, I mean, I mean, side money, I mean, side peace, I mean, it's just something on the side, you know what I'm saying? Just, just a little something, and all of a sudden, that thing you've been quoting, that verse you've been quoting, that's really binding you that church you've been following, they're really just brainwashing you. And and what the enemy has done here is what he gets people to think, that religion and Christianity is just a bunch of rules. It's just a bunch of don'ts. Why would you follow that? You can just make up your own rules and live a life of goodness, And in the end, the enemy is saying, you and I know best. God doesn't. And there's a better life for you. And a life where you live out your passions. Live out your desires. You feel it? Do. That's the better life. What you're feeling on the inside. We must... Dissect just for a second the anatomy of temptation yeah. because it happens to us all. When Eve is there, the, 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 the pain that she feels, the wonder that she feels, it goes to a deep place when she says, don't touch it. She's feeling restrictive. She's wondering why I, can't I have this one thing? Satan is he's arousing self-pity, getting her to feel bad for what she doesn't have, getting her to doubt, why don't I have this very thing that God could give me? Mm. Temptation always starts with self-pity. Wow. Always. Wow. You want to, the things you're struggling with right now is because you're feeling bad about the life that you thought you have and the life you're currently having. And right now you're saying I don't have it and I should have it and God could give it to me. And so self pity is that pathway, and the evil one begins to arouse it. He draws it out of her by asking a broad question, and the antidote. To self pity is two sided. When she was being drawn into that moment of thinking about restriction, she misquoted what God said. She has full access to God. She doesn't have a text, she doesn't even look at the table of contents, she doesn't have an app, she has Him. And she could have, instead of getting into a conversation with the evil one, turned to God and said, can you, can you help me for a second? Because I, wh- wh- I had heard. <laughs> but what did you say? She could have looked back at what God said versus what has registered inside of her. Let me tell you that much of your therapy is unraveling the lies you've been so easily believing. Much of the work that I do in counseling is sitting there listening to people and you can can see a system of lies that they've been believing. And you you have got to detonate those lies, but you cannot detonate lies. You've got to replace them with truth. That's why I'm telling you, Just it's good if you're getting therapy. Just make sure that your therapeutic um, patterns don't exclude the word of God. Yeah. Because you need to replace lies with truth. Yeah. You, you need truth because your mind is a pattern base. It always is looking for a system. So you must have truths to be able to not only detonate lies, but you got to replace them with deep truths. She could have just turned to God, but she did not. the other thing, is not just looking at what God said. She needed to look at what God did. God said, you can have all of this, all of this, all of this. You can have that, that too, that over there. You know what, why don't you go ahead and have that? And have that, but you just can't have this one thing. And what did her mind do? Her mind focused on what she didn't have instead of putting her eyes on what God has already done. Do you know, do you know, this is, this is the trick of the enemy. This is the trick of the enemy. Do you, what was that tree called? What was that tree called? The tree of what? Do y'all remember? Mm-hmm. Knowledge of what? Good and evil. Now, y'all, all these Bible scholars, Okay. Listen, listen. When God created the earth, right? And he put the lights and the sky and all those things up. What was the thing he would say after he created, he called it what? Good. Good. And if you look in chapter one, verse 31, he calls it very good. Do you know that she was eating of a tree of good and evil, already experiencing goodness. What I'm trying to tell you is she was searching for goodness and already was in goodness in abundance. Everything was good. She wanted this tree of good and evil. Girl, you got goodness. Goodness is all around you. If you would just take your eyes off that which you think you need and knowing for a second all that he's giving you, all that he's giving you. see, we live, oh, we're always in a forest. But temptation makes us look at one tree. And over there, there's that tree of hope. Remember when he gave you hope? He gave you that tree. And there's over there, there's that tree, that, that one memory you have of God taking you out of your mess, that tree. And then there's another tree over there. There is this tree of family and relationship in church. And then there's the tree of his word. And he has given us that. And see, all those trees lead to one big tree. And it was a tree that was on Golgotha where Jesus died for us. And you gotta look to that tree as well where Jesus did all that we need. See, we are always in a forest of goodness, amidst of one tree of temptation, and we must have his word and community to remind us. That's why, that's why I encourage you, when you sing and praise God, you do it with your whole heart, because you are actually giving yourself mental health. You are reminding yourself of the goodness and the mercy of the Lord, because there will be things this week that will tell you he is not good, or at least he's not been merciful enough. So here, here we see this temptation. Eve could have looked at God's word. She could have had a conversation. She could have looked at all this goodness that she saw. You say, well, where did Eve go wrong? Well, it was in the conversation itself. One author said it this way, argue against the temptation, but don't argue with it. It is in the long nights of conversation where you're kind of, when you know something's sinful, but you're kind of like bargaining with it. You know what I mean? You're trying to rationalizing it. I know, I know y'all are sick. Let me go talk to this crowd. The, over here don't know the Lord. When you're, when you're, like, you're like, well, you know, maybe, and I kind of like things that, things are very explicit in God's word. You're like, but this, in the Greek, you know what I mean? You're like that. You're really, you're really just like, I need to wrestle. The, the, the longer you wrestle with things that are obvious, It's the the conversation itself that's drawing you in. Because the longer you conversate with evil and that which is obviously evil, it's just slowly seducing you, diluting your conscience and making your convictions slowly go away. Jesus, when he is tempted, in Matthew, he quotes and quotes and quotes. Joseph, when he is tempted, he quotes and keeps it pushing. Certain environments aren't just healthy for you because they draw you into deep levels of temptation. Up until this point, Eve has not sinned, but look in Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Notice key words there in verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good. She saw with a delight to the eyes. and She saw a desire to make her wise. It's as if she's gotten close to this tree. She said to this tree, it's no longer that she call it a tree of knowledge of good and evil, but she said it could make me wise. And she has argued with herself and she's gotten close and now it's good for food. Her desire has grown more for this thing. The more she has entertained it. And so all of a sudden her desires take over. And Adam watches the whole thing happen and then joins her in sin. I don't have time, I literally don't have time to go into this a lot, but understand why would Adam, who was given the command, why would he just watch this happen? And we blame, you know, we get mad at Adam, and we get mad at Eve. It's really hard to stop people when they're convinced that their desire is good. It's really hard. It's like a runaway train. And oftentimes, people describe desires as if they're divine. And one of the things that you see happening here with Eve is, all of a sudden, her eyes perk up. She says it's wise, and then she falls into this trap. I want to encourage you to not be like Adam with some of your friends mm. and watch them fall into traps. Mm. The problem is sometimes we just say, well, do you? Is that good for you? Does that make you feel good? Do you think that would be nice for you? And we think desire and pleasure are a means by which God can be glorified. He, and he is. He wants us to feel pleasure and joy and all those things. But the evil one will make it seem like you are missing out on life and missing out on pleasure. And so, all of a sudden, the more she begins to tantalize us and get excited about it, she slips into this space. Adam watches her. We must be people of conviction. And when I say conviction, I mean, the root word of conviction is convinced. You must be convinced that God's word is true because our culture lives by the nature of believing that if a desire is within you, you must live it out and you must try it. Our whole culture is afraid of speaking against people's desires. And so you cannot be afraid of of, of living in a space where you acknowledge that God's word does not always coincide with your desires. God's word actually will rebuke desires. The Bible says if you walk in the spirit, you will not satisfy the sinful nature of the flesh. As long as you stay in his word, you will at least know the truth. And here lies the consequence The scriptures say, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What happens after sin? Shame. What's sin's last name? Shame. It always comes with shame. It always comes with shame. Sin always comes with shame. Shame. And after shame, death. And death is separation. And so now they are sowed fig leaves and they don't feel the same kind of freedom with God. And they begin to separate themselves from God. And that was Satan's goal the whole time. To get you away from God. It was never about the tree. It was always getting you away from God. One author says it this way, sin always results in alienation. Theologically, that's God between man. Sociologically, that's man between man. Psychologically, psychologically, that's man and himself. Ecologically, that's man and nature. Sexually, that's man and woman, and domestically, that's husband and wife. Sin is always trying to get separation. And I could also say ecclesiologically that's God and his church. The division happens the same way. And so separation was always his goal. And yet, what does God do? In Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and them." meaning he slays an animal and then puts clothes on them because they're living in shame. He separates them then we have all these commands of sacrifice that we would see. And then finally we see Jesus. Jesus coming, giving his life for us, sacrificing himself. And he sacrifices himself so that we might be in right relationship. Lastly, what does he do? What does Jesus do for us? Jesus So that we would have the confidence when we sin, Jesus dies on a cross for us publicly. And the Bible says that he was stripped naked. And in the same way that their eyes were open and they became aware of their sin, Jesus is put on a cross naked. Naked. And he takes on our shame. The scriptures say it this way in John 19, 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part to each soldier. You ain't never seen no cross pictures of Jesus naked. We can't even stand that picture, right? That's just way too much for us, right? But as a culture, we ain't got no problem seeing naked people. That's the, that's the wild part, right? We, don't. Jesus, you put on clothes. Everybody else get naked, right? Because nakedness is being exposed. Isn't that what shame happens when you get caught being exposed? Eve says, I was deceived, I was exposed. Oftentimes when you feel yourself moving away from God's people and God's words, it's because you've been exposed. And the beautiful picture that happens on the cross is naked Jesus dies for us, Exposed. Shame he takes for us. Why is it important that you have that imagery in your mind, as weird as it may be? Because he dies this shameful death so that shame never keeps you separated from God. Because the devil's ploy isn't sin, it's separation. That's why shame is so deep. It's because he wants to keep you from talking to God again, from coming back to his house, from praising again, from crying out again. His, his goal is to keep you separated. So you must fight with relationship. You must come back again and again. And on the darkest night that you've had in sin, come back again and again, because sin was never the goal. It was always Separation. And in relationship, husband and wife, where you have argued again and again, come back and talk one more time because Satan's goal isn't just that argument, it's separation. And then if you're in the church and you've had beef with one another, know that yes, you argued, but keep talking, keep talking because the goal of Satan isn't just that argument, it's separation. It's division. Understand that we have seen whole families, communities and churches broken by the work of the evil one. And we have what the Bible calls a ministry of reconciliation. Stay reconciled to God and you fight the enemy. Stay reconciled to God and you fight his strategy because what Satan wants to do is separate you and what Jesus wanted to do was reconcile us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you right now, that you would remind us of your ministry of reconciliation, that you long for us to be close, that no matter what I've done, that I have within me the spirit of God drawing me closer to you. Even now, would you dissect the lies that have been inside of me, replace it with healthy, healthy truth. And God, no matter what I've done, Let me draw near to you in Christ's name. Amen. I ask that after church, some of you felt that God was speaking to your heart about your relationship with God, that you'd come and pray right after the service is done. Some of you may not feel like you're in right relationship with God because of sin. I ask that you would come and pray. Don't wait another Sunday because you only deepen the plan of the enemy in your life. Come close.